Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode one of the Liga NOS podcast for BTL. Uh, today, we're going to be here with Zach and we're going to be here with Rodrigo um, talking about recent events in the Liga NOS and a bit about um, our favorite players in the Liga NOS, specifically a couple of young players that we really like. Um, hi, Zach. How's it going? Going great. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to be on. Um, really excited to get this up in the works. Have have a lot of high expectations for this podcast, and yeah, very excited to be uh, speaking with with my good friend Rodrigo Caravaggio, one of the most knowledgeable people that I know about Portuguese football. Uh, been a great week, uh, you know, beginning with obviously the Lisbon Derby, but there's been a lot of other action uh, that I'm looking forward to discussing regarding. Uh, Liga Nosha's current state. Um, so, yeah, extremely excited for today's podcast. Yeah, Rodrigo, how's it going as well? All good, all good. Thank you. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, thank you, Zach, for the words. I'm excited. It's always good to talk about Portuguese, Portuguese soccer, Portuguese football, and, and I'm ready. Yeah, very excited to be here. All right, so we're going to start off by talking about the current state of Benfica. So obviously we know that Benfica lost the Sporting, so we'll, we'll reserve a bit of time to talk about that. Um, but firstly, I want to talk about how they've been over the course of the season so far, leading up to the events of the uh, Lisbon derby. So how do you two think, uh, Rodrigo first, how do you think like Benfica's season has been going on the whole? You know, it's definitely, a, it's been a disappointing season, even though, Benfica's still in for Europa League, uh, Portuguese Cup, and we can consider the the league, even though nine points behind is quite a quite a big difference. But I think overall it's it's definitely disappoint disappointing and uh it's hard to to find one thing. It's a very atypical year, not just because of COVID, but Benfica had its presidential elections. Uh right like at the beginning of the season which doesn't help the uh George Jesus coming back to the club was also controversial not everyone agreed and it's definitely below what what was expected because uh you know Jesus is not a coach that that will be humble and <laughs> and say it things are going to take time he's always on his style uh very bragging almost about his qualities as a coach and everything. So uh, the qualities just hasn't been there. Uh, I know it's a different season 2020, 2021 just has to be because of COVID, because of the, the schedule, everything just needs to be adapted to, to the world we live in today. And yes, Benfica had a lot of COVID cases this past month, but from the beginning of the season, losing in the, in the Champions League qualifiers against, against Pauk, uh, just... The quality really hasn't been there apart from three, four games in in October. So, uh, yeah, to start, I think it's disappointing. There's a lot of problems in the club, outside of the club, and it, it's just be it hasn't been there so far. It hasn't been there. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of the issues potentially can be said to have come about after the loss to Park in the Champions League qualifiers, like that massive failure, all the hype that came around um, George Jesus, um, all of that hype around him to get knocked out in the Champions League um, qualifiers. And I think he was a bit, some people would say that he was let down by the fact that um, obviously he didn't get his transfers in as early as he would have wanted. Um, obviously there was a lot of talk about Edison Cavani um, potentially coming in, you know, that he's now gone to Man United and Benfica acquired um, Darwin Nunes. But I think a lot of uncertainty at the start of the season, I think, has definitely led to a spiral, um, which has obviously put Benfica where they are right now. Um, Zach, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I agree with a lot of uh, what was just said. I do think it's a bit of a cop-out to say that, like, that that the Champions League elimination uh, is is so responsible or has as much weight, I guess, in, in Benfica's poor form. Um, as we know, Porto were eliminated, I believe, in the exact same stage last season by Krasnodar, and they ended up winning the league and the Taça de Portugal. So 
I think that it's a bit of a cop out to just say, oh, well, things were always um, destined for to be to be, you know, disappointing. Um, it, it, it's just been a crazy Benfica season, though, really, unlike any other. Um, you know, I, I think that going into it, I was really excited because and I think a lot of Benficistas were excited by their summer business. You know, you got in so many big names such as Darwin Nunes, Gianluca Waldschmidt, Jean Vertogen. Um, yes, they lost Ruben Diaz, which, you know, nobody wants that to happen, but uh, it was it was bound to happen one way or another. Um, in general, I think there was a lot of excitement going into the season. And then, of course, you had uh, – arguably something that that a lot of Benfica fans would consider more important than the results of of the season or any trophies which uh, was the election in in October um, and I think that yeah I, I'm, I'm not sure how much of an effect that had on players um, but I, I it obviously was something that was you know, I, I think influenced in part the Benfica's business. I think that was probably the biggest impact that it played. Uh, Luis Felipe Vieira did not want a repeat of last season. And so he, you know, he brought in George Jesus after his historic campaign with Flamengo. He brought in all of these players such as Vertonghen, such as Nunes, such as Everton. Um, but the the ironic thing is it looks like they're going to have an even worse season than last season. Um, so yeah, it's just been absolutely bizarre and uh, I'm looking forward to discussing more of it this episode to help make sense of this crazy season for them. Yeah. And Dennis, if you allow me just to step in a little bit and kind of end with that, it's just, we're talking about, uh, an historic investment in in Portuguese soccer history. It's not like it was just a a bad selection of a coach because I mean we all know Jorge Jesus, but it's just a it's, it's almost more it's more than 100 million invested, which is which is a breaking record in Portugal. Uh, Darwin Nunes breaking record transfer, and and when you invest money like that, especially in the year where COVID hit and clubs are suffering financially, and you see. Real Madrid, Barcelona, all of these big clubs not even investing. When Benfica does it uh, in a year of, of elections, it just it requires immediate, uh, immediate performances, immediate results. And I think that's the, the biggest point for, for fans and for, and for all, the, all the talks around the team, which is it's not, it seems like it wasn't planned uh, knowing the year we're living in and and of course starting with that power elimination uh the money from champions league would be very important to, to secure not only transfers but with a little bit more uh safety for for the financials of the club and and the champions league group stage is always a good a good showcase for players and for and for the team and it just didn't happen this year yeah definitely i mean um obviously it would have been you can't just put everything on the part game like um Zach said and obviously I agree with that. But I think after that and especially after Ruben um losing Ruben Diaz, I think losing Ruben Diaz and having him basically replaced by Otamendi is such a massive downgrade that I think any manager in world football would probably have struggled to, you know, get the defence. especially considering the season had already started when Ruben Diaz had left. So, you know, having to change your plans almost after, right after the season has started is such a massive change that I think it, I think it potentially also came from the power of the game. But just on the whole, even though they did spend a lot of money, I don't think that it was a particularly good um, transfer window for um, Benfica on the whole. And just to just to touch up on that, I mean, one thing that like I admire a lot, and I I think Rodrigo will agree with me about teams such as Atalanta and Red Bull Leipzig is that they they won't wait to make a signing uh, after selling a player, right? They'll they'll often work like three steps ahead of the process, and like for example, Salzburg. Um, 
signed Erling Haaland, I believe, before Munis Dabur had even left. Um, and, and, uh, you know, plenty of other examples with Atalanta and, and other forward-thinking clubs. Um, and I think an advantage of that is that you get them to adapt a bit uh, while, while biding their time in the, on the edges of the first team. And I think that's one thing that where Benfica, if they had perhaps signed a Diaz replacement in 2019 or 2020, you know, knowing he was going to leave, because obviously he was going to leave. Players of his caliber just don't stay in Portugal for their primes. Um, it, it does make you wonder if they'd been better off, you know, signing someone uh, to to eventually bring in. You know, I know there were rumors of um, of plenty of of plenty of players. I know, for for example, Lucas Verissimo, who uh, just played in the in the Copa Libertadores final and is now a Benfica player. Um, you know, but there were rumors that he would join in the summer. Um, so, so yeah, it, it it does make you wonder a bit. Maybe if they had bought somebody in January or somebody in 2020, uh, would they have been better off as opposed to just kind of panicking and bringing in Otamendi and, uh, and, and Todibo on loan, who obviously is now at Nice. Um, but, you know, they, they should have known, they, they must have known that Diaz was going to leave one sooner rather than later. So uh, I'm, I'm not sure how much, how much excuses, I guess, JJ deserves. Um, obviously, it's a massive blow. But, uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that's, that's a failure on, I think that, I think the Benfica's recruitment and their strategy, um, perhaps more so than JJ. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I can agree with that. I think um, obviously there were the rumors of, Luke, of Lucas Verissimo coming in the summer, and him coming in January just begs the question of why they didn't do it in the summer. Because yes, yes, Benfica got um, Jan Vertonghen, and yes, um, Otamendi came in. But Vertonghen's a player past his prime. Yes, he's a very good player, but he's a player past his prime, and he's not quite playing in the centre back position um, very often these days, especially. Um, with Grimaldo being um, having had some time off this season, I think having simply Otamendi pretty much to replace Ruben Diaz was almost unacceptable um, as a recruitment strategy on the whole. Um, but moving to the sporting game, um, specifically in that game, I felt there was a lack of a lack of like attempts to actually create anything. There was a lack of movement. Um, when they were attacking the settled shape of sporting, they didn't really know what the aims were. And I think, I think personally, a lot of that came through um, a lack of tactical structures that um, Jesus has implemented at Benfica. Yes, we know that he's a very good coach and you know he's good at motivating his players. He's very good at extracting a lot out of the individuals. But as a team, I don't think they were very well set up to actually break down um, sporting or even try to counterattack them um, when Sporting did commit um, players forward, especially with the outside centre-backs in Sporting's three at the back, um, try to move forward. Um, so what are your thoughts, uh, Rodrigo, first? Yeah, I agree, I agree. I think it's, of course, it's a, it's a, it's in a, typical, a typical game, uh, knowing that Bifika doesn't have his coach, uh, the coach on the bench, uh, a lot of the players weren't able to practice with each other uh, during the week, during the previous weeks. Um, but I don't think that's, that's, that's a, a good enough excuse for me. I think the, the goal was simply to mirroring uh, what Sporting was doing with the, with the formation, with the 3-4-3. Three, three. Uh, I don't think Benfica has a, the, the players for it. I don't think, uh, I don't think the, the team was prepared well enough to do the to do the, the the three defender system and to be efficient on the ball. I think it was mostly thought for defensive process, but if you want to win a derby, you need to you need to attack, you need to have uh, initiative, you need to you need to go up for it. And and that just didn't happen. I mean Jardel's injury in the at the beginning did not help. 
and and it shows a little bit the the planning of the entire season when you when you get to a to an important moment uh, in a year where you signed Bertong and Otamendi uh Todibo and and you have to play Jardel was clearly uh limited physically and and he just gets hurt in an important moment but I think yeah it's just the the defensive mindset the the zero risk uh approach that Benfica took and if we compare the the three men up front of Benfica to the three men up front with Sporting I mean a year ago you would take all of all of the Benfica players and it's not a, a matter of individual quality or or potential I think it's it's just how how teams are prepared and Ruben Emery is just He's just doing a great job. He's, he knows exactly what he wants from from his players. He had uh, Pedro Gonçalves just dropping and having uh, Thiago Tomas and, and Nuno Santos just attacking the the space behind the Benfica's backline, and it merely it worked most of the time. And at least they know what they're doing. I felt like with Benfica, the approach was to try to play short, try to find Rafa and 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 Servi, uh, behind Palina and uh, behind João Mario and, and Mateus. But but it just wasn't fluid enough on the ball that there wasn't any any dominant approach. When you have it, the center back seemed to me that they were they were too tight, they were too narrow to be playing from the back, and then they needed the they needed the, the outside backs uh, to to just drop a little too much, and the team was always too spread apart. Darwin was completely alone up top, and yes, he does he does lack some some decision making and and, and some in some plays. But but he was all, almost always alone, and knowing his characteristics, his his DNA of being a physical player, vertical player, if he's alone, he's just gonna do it even more. So yeah, there's just a lot of things that don't go well with with a strategy for this game, but but also how how the team has been performing this year. Yeah, I thought just to touch up on that, I thought it was. Um, almost like I was getting a sense of deja vu because the the derby was the day after the Libertadores final, and I felt that both games were incredibly marked with like good individual performances from the defenders, but in general, just a very low level of uh, quality. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, I think that the better team won in both games, but it was it was both. I think it was a case of of neither team uh, in either game really wanting to take any risks and instead trying to like rather than creating something on um, in possession, uh, trying to exploit uh, mistakes from from the opposing team. And when you know when both teams are playing in a conservative manner that's just not going to happen as much. Um, and of course you had the the late goal and the dying minutes uh, coming from, uh, you know, a very improbable source um, in Mateus. Um, I, I mean, I think that, that itself definitely explains, or it, it definitely, I guess, speaks to what Amorim is doing uh, with, with the sporting team, you know, not, not many uh, stars, you know, it's just a very good, uh, a, a very, very good mix of, of youth and, and veterans. And, uh, and, and yeah, I think it's, it's a bit ironic how, um, how, how, how Mateus, who, you know, I believe Frederick Verandas just last year was saying that, he was going to pay for Ruben Amorim's buyout clause just just by his sale. Uh, Rodrigo, I don't know if you remember something like that. Verandas, the sporting president, yeah. said that Mateus is that the he sale. Of, yeah, yeah the, that the that the sale <laughs> of Mateus. I believe he was linked to Leicester. I'm not too sure. Um, but you no, know, that that was even before he he played. For sporting, he, right. he at the time he was rejected by Leicester, I know, and then, yeah, a year ago when yeah. Mateus was still in the under twenty three squad, the the president just said that he would cover the costs of of signing Ruben Amorim himself when when he was being promoted. So that was a big statement at the time, and everyone was a little cons- 
concerned because it's a player that never played in the league, but yeah, it's it's working well. Yeah, and I mean, I've never been like super convinced about Nunez. I mean, he hasn't been, you know, with with Palinha coming back from loan and and João Mario, he isn't necessarily a guaranteed starter, but he is. Uh, he has proven to be valuable when when called upon, and he was incredibly valuable uh, in the dying minutes. So it definitely speaks to just. I think Amarim's man management, um, his ability to to make more with less, um, and yeah, you you definitely have to give him a lot of credit. Um, and and just going back to that, I, I wanted to touch up on on a on on a tweet that 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 I made so a, a few a few days ago. So I touched up on after the derby. Um, you know, one year after Sporting selling Bruno Fernandes for a record fee to Manchester United, they're top of the table with a decent margin, a pretty comfortable margin at the top of the Primera. Um, and I, I think that one, one thing that, you know, obviously people want to trash Bruno and make fun of him because he is a United player and he does have um you know a, a lot of people don't necessarily like bruno um and so they say well that's the reason why sporting are doing so well uh they sold bruno because he's just overrated and not a good player and i disagree with that but i do think that bruno's that sporting's collective improvement after the bruno sale one is a testament to the work that amarim has done and obviously that work takes time for a young manager like him. But I think it also speaks to uh, what, what, what is known as the Ewing theory, which refers to when a team collectively improves after, after it, it doesn't have to be necessarily a, the sale of a star player, but the absence, you know, it could be in the injury of a star player. Um, I, and so, yeah, I just wanted to know if you had any opinion on that. Um, do you do you see any connection there between the loss of Bruno and the improvement of Sporting a, as a team, or uh, am I just looking too far into that? <laughs> it is. It is a. It is an interesting question. I think the team was forced in that period of of two three months with Amorim last season after losing Bruno. I think that. That was important because it, it forced the team to to find its own leaders. It, it forced the team to to adapt to a new world without a superstar that a lot of times just discovered the mistakes and the and the flawless of 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 Sporting's team. And they were they were forced. It was necessary for them to be to be a real team to have a collective. And that's what you were just saying. There's there's no superstars here. I mean, of course, players will will shine through the collective. Performances. Uh, Pedro Gonzalez, excellent player. Palinha, amazing player, national team player in my opinion. Uh, and then you have Coates uh, rising as a leader and very regular performances. And then the young players with no pressure, completely adapted to to the system after two three months last season of stepping in, having a few minutes. And this is just a all credits to to Amuni. I I think he's he's a coach with a brilliant future uh is doing a great job is his speech the way he talks about the team everything is very well thought and very meticulous uh without putting too much pressure on the on the players he knows sporting is not really used to be in these situations in the past years and he, he's just putting all the pressure on the other teams and and doing their jobs like week after week they have a collective you can you can sense the the collective spirit in the team where in videos and games where you see them interacting with each other uh, in the messages they, they send to, to the press. And it's been a really, really well done group. I think with Bruno, they would be of course an even better team, but Bruno leaving uh, has been, has been a way for them to find a team that was a little lost with, with its own great and amazing player and leader. And 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 just one thing, it, it is, I mean, it, it definitely does uh, does highlight why you can't judge teams' recruitment 
in the summer because I mean just going back to to like August and July and, and September um, you know so much excitement over over Benfica's business including for my part I was really excited about you know players such as Darwin and Waldschmidt coming in on the other hand a lot of skepticism I think from the part of sporting fans and just neutrals over sporting's business you know I think a lot of it was I guess it seemed to be um, fairly cheap business. Yes, you got some very good players in, such as uh, Pote and 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 I think Bruno Tabata, who isn't quite a starter yet, but I think can still be a very good player. Um, but but in general, it was sort of a a mixed bunch. You know, you got it was like wh- where is the strategy there? But it definitely does show you that that uh, you can't judge these businesses until until they until these players start to play, um, and and that's that's one thing that I'd actually like to touch up on and and ask you, Rodrigo and Dennis, um, about Sporting's business because they did make a bit of a splash in the in the transfer window in the final days of January. Um, bringing in Joao Pereira, the veteran from Trabzonspor, Mateus Rice, uh, depth at the left back position for from Rio Huav, um, as well as the, the biggest signing uh, and one of the biggest signings in Europe this this window, Paulinho, bringing him in from Braga, uh, and sending Andres Sporar the other way on loan. What do you guys make of that deal? Go first, Dennis, for sure, or unless you want me to go. I'll go then. I think the, the strategy for, for sporting, uh, it's exactly what it was in the summer, uh, just without their Amorin's secret love and 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 a professional affair with Paulinho because uh the players they brought in Mateus Mateus Reis, João Pereira two players that know the league two players that know the coach uh Mateus Reis doesn't know the coach but I mean playing in the three back system he knows it and being either the the fullback or, or the defender he, he knows what to do and I think it goes along with with all the other signings I know their strategy and you said it well it wasn't a record jersey selling strategy with, with big names with with a lot of excitement from the fans. But Mamourin chose the players he wanted for the for the roles he wanted. And comparing with Benfica as we were doing, I think that's the complete the complete opposite. You Benfica in a in a summer window uh, went got Everton and plays him the completely opposite way he was playing in Brazil, which is he's playing inside now. On a kind of on a on a half space there, and and he's used to be wide open, going one v one with players. Mefica got Darwin and is is playing with is playing him up top, which is where he plays. But the system is a little bit more organized than what Darwin is used to, and is is just making a difference by his strength and and speed up top, and of course finishing. But it's just sometimes the right players are not always the the most valuable ones in the market or just the the superstars and I think Mourinho got it really really well and I think for the people that are listening to us we can compare a little bit a few years ago I mean Leicester and and Manchester United signings I think Leicester always good with internal signings getting good players from 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 lower clubs that are already used to to the league and Manchester United kind of made a lot of mistakes going abroad with expensive signings that took some adaptation and here Sporting is just doing fantastic with picking the players for their own system, for Amorim, for everything he likes on a player and the, and the spirit. And Juan Pereira will be a leader uh, for the team. I have no doubt about it. He's going to be kind of a coach in the in the locker room. And then, of course, Paulinho is is the... There's a lot of expectations. The, the price was 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 a little, a little out of what's usual for sporting, but I think it's completely worth it. Uh, he has three, four, five, six years at the... At his top, he's a national team player. Is the for me is is he was the uh, with with Taremi is the best striker in the league. Is the perfect striker for Amorim's 
Amorin's system, and and I'm, I'm I'm excited with these signings. I think they were all very good, and but now there is some responsibility with the cost of of Paulinho, and he needs to perform and add some pressure that Sporting didn't have yet. But I think Amorin and the team will be able to do, to deal with it. And just to showcase how crazy this is, uh, João Pereira is nearly one year older than Ruben Amorim. I mean, that's just... Yeah, and they played it against each other a lot when they were younger, right. and they know each and other really well. And they played with each other. And they played with each other. Um, real quick, I just want to touch up on Darwin, because um, if you haven't checked it out, check out our piece from Brad Jones on BTL about Darwin Nunes. Got some great 23 sport graphics in that article. Um, and it does, it does show case uh how how good of a prospect he is but he has been going through a bit of a tough run of form um and and he even will pretty much kept quiet by his his compatriot sebastian Coats in the in the lisbon derby he um I think he was probably competing with Filippo Inzaghi for how many offsides he can a player can possibly get in in one game. Um, <laughs> I, I remember him getting offside like almost every yes. single play. Um, but yeah, just you know, he was the most expensive transfer in uh, in Benfica history. It should be noted that he he this is his first season. Uh, playing in a premier European division, right? He was playing in the Segunda in Spain yeah. last season, yeah. Maria. now he's playing for uh, arguably the biggest club in Portugal. So uh, definitely a bit of a step up. But yeah, he has struggled a bit for consistency over the past few weeks um, or months, I should say. Um, so as good of a prospect he is, he is, I think, having a bit difficulty uh, assuming leadership in the big games and also just 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 finding a role in Jesus's system what is that system right we we have touched up on that as well but but and and so this this run of form or the lack of form has actually brought a lot of criticism from the Benfica fan base and uh, resulted in Darwin uh, deactivating his social media accounts this week after the after the Lisbon game. So, yeah, it, it has not been an easy uh, run of form for him, but there's still a lot of potential there. And, yeah, what, what is your take on the Darwin, the Darwin uh, situation? Well, I think it's, it's a mix of, uh, I mean, lack of collective... Uh, not ideas, but, you know, consistency and knowing what to do. And then a player that, of course, is adapting to a, to a higher level uh, is, is completely, it's completely different from the strikers that Benfica had. I think he's, from the past, he's only similar, more similar to Raul Jimenez. And he, Jimenez was never uh, a main starter at Benfica, which, which is surprising now that we talk about one of the best strikers in Premier League. But... Uh, it's just a. Uh, he needs to. He has, of course, some technical uh, weaknesses. I'll say that frustrate a lot of people. Uh, and the price tag, <clears throat> the price tag was just was just something that he's going to have to to deal with. Uh, Twenty five million is a lot for for Portugal for a Portuguese club to spend on. Uh, if there wasn't the the price, I think he would be. He wouldn't be as much as criticized as he is now, but I, I'm pretty sure he, Mifika will still be able to, to know, make money with him. He's gonna be a great player. He has a lot of potential, no doubt about it. It's just, is he the perfect striker for a, a George Jesus team? Is he the best pair for uh, Seferovic? Which I'm surprised Walshmid has been losing his spot because I think they were really good duo and really good pair up top. And the Walshmid really brought the best out of Darwin. And now without him, we just see Darwin uh, moving a lot, a little too much, I would say, to, to the left side, ending up a lot of plays in the corner near the, near the corner flag. And he's far from the goal. He's far from 
it's far from where he needs to be to to breathe those those goals and live off those goals. But I still think it, with time and with patience, and of course, it, it's a, a typical year, as I said a lot of times already. I think it will be it'll still be good for for Benfica, and they just have to use him the best way. I'm also not sure if George uh, going out for the season saying that he's going to end up giving Benfica more money than Joao Felix was, was helpful. But um, yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, if, if you are a player like Darwin, who's, who's coming in, you need to accept that responsibility and step up. But it is definitely a bit of a, of an issue, as, as you say. Um, and it's, yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. I think Darwin has been, he, I think he's been struggling without having words from it. I think, um, like you, you said, you mentioned Joao Felix was there, um, obviously talking about his transfer, but I would have loved to have seen what um, Joao Felix with um, Darwin Nunes, because I think in a 4-4-2, they complement each other so, so well. It's like having Waldschmidt, but like a higher quality version with Joao Felix. And it would have been such a good dynamic if we could have seen them. Obviously, um, there are two seasons. There is a season between when one left and one came. But yeah, I think I really would have liked to see that. Um, so let's move on to the next section of uh, today's podcast and talk about our talent of the week. Um, so in this section, each of us are just going to bring in a player um, that we really, really like um, in Portugal right now, um, a younger player who we think has um, very good potential and could be going um, into Europe sometime soon. Um, so, Rodrigo, do you want to start with yours? Yes, 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 for sure. And, I mean, if you follow Liga Nas, you definitely already know him, even though a year ago he was he was a unknown player. Uh, if you just started following Liga Nas or if you're not that aware, you probably heard his name in, in a few transfer rumors already. But he's Nuno Mendes, he's 18-year-old. Uh, fullback, left back for Sporting is for me the most exciting player rising in our in our league at the moment. Uh, a lot of potential. It's the, his story is, is unbelievable. He, in his youth, he, he spent almost two years without playing. Uh, it just wasn't an option, or he was hurt. And last year he was playing for the under under twenty three. And I mean, he was he was a good player. You could see potential, but you know, he lacked a little bit of confidence. And now uh, when Amorim came to the team and he just started uh, calling him to the, to the main team, his, his rising has been, has been unbelievable. And, and I think it, I know a few people that coached him in his youth and they said this is all due to his, his it's all credit to his work, to his work ethic, to the, to the way he leaves the sport. He's a, he's a shy guy that always worked really hard. And now he's, he's getting... He's gonna get some some places. I think his his physical physical characteristics are are what you want from a modern fullback. Uh, the ability to play in a three in a three back system or five back system or or in a four one uh, just also gives him some experience and some some versatility that that coaches like. And the the performances he's been he's been very regular. Uh, which is which is surprising for for someone who started the season at at 17. So yeah, he's my player, and I think you guys both know him pretty well by now. But yes, people will definitely hear about him. I think he does have the the profile to to end up in the Premier League one day, uh, and I hope I hope to see him getting 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 to places. Uh, I think he would be very well deserved if he gets a a championship in his first year in the league and. And we'll see from now on. Yeah, I think Nuno is probably my favorite uh, talent in in Liga Nosh right now as well. I'm um, not gonna pick him, but but yeah, he's just incredible. Um, I think my favorite Nuno men's anecdote, I guess, is uh, when he was playing for an amateur club in Lisbon. His um, or he was basically being monitored by the biggest clubs in portugal um at 11 years old or so and sporting scout their chief scout went to his house to uh to recruit him 
and to to get him to sign up for the academy um and Nuno being like 11 or 12 years old went to his kitchen and grabbed a knife because he thought he was being robbed and um just a bit of a crazy anecdote but um but but yeah I I I absolutely love Nuno he's just an incredible prospect and I think the way the way I see it I think he'll be starting for Portugal by 2022 yeah I mean yeah, Guerrero has been also really good for, for Dortmund. And I think people in Portugal don't realize it and don't really follow Bundesliga as much as as they could or should. And so the fact that he's, he's a dual dual national nationality citizen for, with France, that it's just he's just a player that people don't know pretty well. And he, I mean, he, he doesn't speak Portuguese that well. So Guerrero never really, people never really fell in love with him. <laughs> Uh, for some reason, but he's been performing really well. But Nuno Mendes, yes, he's, he's got everything to to be a starter for for the national team. I think it's still a little early, and the the national coaches are managing it pretty well with the under twenty ones and let, letting him play with already three years above what he what he is. But I think with some time, we'll see him in the national team for sure. Yeah, absolutely true. Guerrero is a great player as well, and especially after his last performance at the Euros, he definitely won't be pushed aside that that easily. Um, but yeah, so this this season for Liga Noche, it's I think it's been just I'm I'm not sure if we've seen anything like it in in recent history because just so many great talents playing for mid table clubs or bottom table clubs, you know, players such as Ryan Gauld, Rafik Gitan, uh, Angel Gomez, you know, it's, I think the, the caliber, the level of talents, obviously we've seen it in, we saw it last season with, for example, Mehdi Taremi uh, for Hioav, but, but it's, I think it's even greater now, the amount of talents uh, playing in not just the likes of Braga and Benfica, but but teams such as Farence and Santa Clara and Famalicão, uh, you know, there's just so much talent across the board. Um, with that being said, my player who I'm going to pick uh, is going to be David Carmo from Braga. So this so was a bit of a tough one. Um, I was considering putting Fabio Vieira after his performance against Belenenc yesterday, but uh, I just really like Carmo's profile. I mean, he was this player who's, who's very young, and yet uh, despite only really playing and, and starting at the top level for a little more than a year now for Braga, um, he's already gained links to, to clubs such as Manchester United, and Liverpool looked like Liverpool could even could have even recruited him uh, to to solve their defensive crisis, um, but they ended up going with Ben Davies and Ozan Kabak, both players we covered on BTL last week or this week. Um, but I I do think that Carmo is a, a special defensive talent. I think that he has what it takes to. Uh, to to challenge for that whole the the you know in the post Pepe and Font world for Portugal, um, there's going to be a lot of lot of players challenging for for that spot in defense alongside Ruben Diaz, and I do think that Carmo, I'm not sure if he's the best position right now, but he's he's definitely amongst them. Uh, just doing just having an incredible season with Braga. A uh, very good passer of the ball, you know, who knows how to break the lines, strong, good in the air, um, and he's, you know, good in 1v1 duels. I like him a lot, and I think that uh, I could I could very easily see him getting a big move uh, this summer. He's just a very, very promising center back. Yeah, and, you know, uh, I... I do understand everything you're saying and I've talked about it and why big clubs are interested in on him. I mean, his, his player profile is just so attractive for, for big clubs, for teams that want to dominate on the ball. I mean, Liverpool's interest. uh, I did write about it a few, 
a few months ago regarding the his data his data numbers and it's just there's a lot of similarities to how they play because i mean he's a tall fast left-footed center back young one who who's good on the ball uh as you said wins a lot of duels uh in theory he's just he's just a perfect center back i do think and i know this also from from a from a personal view and some people that i know that that i've always heard about him since he was like 14 15 it's just the mental aspect in the game the concentration the the psychological side it's just i don't think it's there for that big of a of a stage and that's the reason why he's is a little inconsistent in in Liga Nos still but yeah i heard liverpool try to try to loan a three and a half million loan from Braga now in in December, and I think it, it was rejected. That's what I heard. Uh, but I'm I'm a little skeptical with him in that part because if you can't if you can't be consistent at that level, uh, how are you going to perform regularly in in a in a higher level? And that's my only concern about him. And of course, he's young; he has a lot of time to develop. But I do think uh, he could. It could be at a higher level, but I would be concerned with those factors, and and I think they're as important as the as the technical ones. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, definitely. I think um, Carmo has obviously he has the potential um, to you know go to the the highest level of the game, um, the Premier League, and be a Champions League player. But right now, he does have those um, little inconsistencies those lapses in concentration, I feel that, you know, make him a player that I wouldn't expect to right now be doing anything more than he is. And that's like not a criticism because obviously he's a young player and that's what we're looking at here. But I think he's still got his ways to go um, to be able to push on and, you know, make that massive step up from, say, Liga Mosh to um, the, the Premier League and the Champions League. And um, I'm moving on to my player now. And my player is one that's been doing very, very well this season. I mean, if you just look at his goals and assists, I think he has about, what, 12 goals and one assist in 14 league games, I believe. Um, and it's Pedro Gonçalves, um, Pote, as he's known, um, across most of the internet. And I think this season, um, he was brought in from Fumalacal from and he's done so, so well to fill the void that Bruno Fernandes left when he left in January of 2020. I think um, Sporting were lacking that player who they, who they could really rely on. I mean, they obviously they just brought in Paulinho, who's obviously going to be a reliable player for you know the goals and assists that he can bring up to win them games. But I think they were really missing someone after they let Bruno Fernandes go, who obviously know he was producing outstanding numbers um, for Sporting. So I think he's really stepped up um, he's got a, a very complete skill set, you know. He does the dirty work. He doesn't mind um, the pressing. He has got the ability to, you know, carry the ball up the field. Although I would say that if there's one area um, that he could improve, it's his dribbling. But his passing, I think, is really good right now. And obviously his output is insane as well. So I think um, he's my player. Uh, what do you guys think of him? Honestly, I I think he's been he's been great for the team. It's it's crazy to think, and when I look at the under twenty one games from Portugal, and he's and he's there. It's just wait, is this, isn't this guy like twenty four, twenty five? Because he just looks so mature when he plays for Sporting, and you forget about his age. And last year with Famalicão, he's he was very good as well, and and he's still so young, and the responsibility and the the factor that he just he just started scoring goals out of out of nowhere and just a lot of a lot of quality and importance in the in a period where sporting wasn't as consistent as as they are now uh i think that was very very important for him and for the team and he got a a role of leadership on the field which was very important for him but yeah he's very promising player should be having a national team call as well soon i mean there's so many options but i think it could definitely be in the national team, he's he's been playing with under twenty ones, as I said, but he's fantastic player, great choice, great choice, Dennis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great choice um, as well. I think that um, I think I it's it's funny. One player who I think 
a lot of people have forgotten about is Wendell and just how important he was for sporting uh, going forward. I think that Pedro's, I think that Pedro's, Pedro Gonzalez's arrival um, has really helped, uh, I guess, replace not only Bruno's attacking output, but I think also Wendell in his just ability as as the creative leader in midfield, and move the ball forward and all all exactly. the all the roles that Wendell had exactly. I mean, you would struggle to find a a a bigger decline from one team this season or, or over the past year than uh, Famalicao. You know, going from really just like two seconds away from making Europa League to, I think, being bottom of the league um, by by February. Um, and obviously we knew they were going to rest to some degree, but, but I think out of all the, out of all the departures, uh, whether those be sales or loans, looking at Tony Martinez, Rakic, um, I think that probably the biggest one, even bigger than like Nehuen Perez, is is Pote. You know, I think his ability to serve as that um, midfield creator to link things together and just to pick the right pass in in the final third, so important for sporting. Um, and yeah, I mean that's that's gotta be I think up there with probably with like Mediterranean and Andre Castro um probably forgetting some, but up there with those guys as as the best signing um, in Liga Nos this season. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, obviously, for America, I couldn't hold on to him. Um, in Portugal, that's how the dynamic is with the big three. Um, but yeah, he would, I think he's been an absolutely amazing signing, and I wouldn't be surprised, even in this summer, um, he is to move to somewhere in Europe. Um, I think that's all we have time for today. Um, obviously, I've really enjoyed today's episode, episode one of the League of podcast. Really looking forward to future episodes as well. I'd like to thank both Rodrigo and Zach for coming on today. Um, you've both been so amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And, yeah. Um, we hope you have enjoyed this episode at home. Um, and yeah, I think if you're looking for any more content, um, specifically about tactical analysis, for example, you make sure you head on over to the BTL website. Um, we have loads of content ready for all of you. And yeah, um, thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you on next time.